Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. What you are about to hear may sound very unusual to you. In the midst of tragedy and pain, the prophet Habakkuk is going to tell us how his heart and faith survived it. He's going to teach us how praying to God, waiting on God, and worshiping God changed everything for him. It didn't change the situation, but it did change how he saw it and how he saw God in it. While these things may seem unusual, they made him more faithful and more hopeful. To Habakkuk, it was a gift from God, and it's available to you today. Here's Pastor Jim in part three of his message, a special gift for you. Woe to those who practice idolatry. But in the middle of the woes, after the woe on bloodshed, a light shines in the darkness. Look at verse 14. In verse 14, we get the full plan of God and the destination of human history. It sort of just like pops out in the middle of all these woes. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. There'll be no doubt about it. Everybody will, na- everybody will see it. Everybody will know it as the waters cover the sea. Every inch of it. The whole, even, even in the depths, they'll see the glory of the Lord. And I want you to hold on to that phrase, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Hold on to that for a minute. Because of the shed blood, this is going to, now we fast forward again to Jesus, but because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, and because Jesus rose from the dead, sin and death have been defeated, and now we're just waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. Here, Habakkuk is giving this message to southern Israel. Bible students, you might want to look at Isaiah 11. A hundred years earlier, the same message was given to northern Israel when the Assyrians came in and exiled them and conquered them. And this message is for us as well. The Lord promises Habakkuk, the Lord promises you, the Lord promises me that earthly kingdoms will fall, the light will come, When the King of heaven, the Lord Jesus, comes again and the whole world will see his glory. Now, I have some really, really good news about that. It's already started. It's already in motion. Remember, I asked you to bank the phrase that said the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Again, we fast forward to Jesus' time. Habakkuk wrote those words, and then we fast forward to Jesus, after Jesus ascended into heaven. And the Apostle Paul writes this, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For it is, the God, it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Exactly what Habakkuk said. How? In the face of Jesus Christ. The light shines in the face of Jesus Christ. Going back to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20, God essentially says to uh, Habakkuk, I got this. You don't have to worry yourself about it. And and the result of God's righteous judgment actually brings uh, Habakkuk peace. And God's righteous judgment to those who are on God's side brings peace to his people for ages. Verse 20, But the Lord is in his holy temple. We think of that as heaven. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Everyone will be silent 
when we meet the Lord. Nobody's going to be like, but, but, you know, the people say, I got a few things I got to share with the man upstairs. I don't think so. Those of you who are older, you remember the honeymooners? And, and Ralph Hamden would go, hamina, 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 hamina. If you can get that out, you would be lucky. And so we will all be silent before him. You know, 150 years earlier, another discouraged prophet, and it's okay to be discouraged sometimes, another discouraged prophet wrote this, Jonah 2.7. He said, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. You know, friends, this is a key to walking by faith, a huge key to walking by faith. More time looking up, less time looking around. Because when you look around at a, dis- as, at a sinful world, it can be very, very, very discouraging. When you look around at our world right now, it is very, very discouraging. There's not a lot of good news. And so Jonah tells us, Habakkuk tells us, spend less time looking around and more time looking up. Now, not when you're driving. Think about God when you're driving, but look forward. But seriously, take time every day to look up to the Lord multiple times throughout the day. The Scripture tells us to pray without ceasing, to pray your way through the day. Now, as we come to chapter 3, having spoken to the Lord, having heard from the Lord, having realized that he can, he can wait, he already said that, I can sit in silence, Habakkuk has been transformed. His complaining has been replaced by confidence in the Lord. He was complaining to the Lord, but now he's confident in the Lord. And you know what he is doing now? Now he is embodying for us the just shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. He reminds us, this is very, very important. This is a life-changing moment maybe for some of us right now. That's why I'm clapping my hands. Get your attention. Wake up. He is reminding us, without saying it, but he is reminding us that we all have a meaningful choice. What type of follower of God do we want to be? Do we want to live our whole life in chapter 1 and 2, or do we want to live in chapter 3? That doesn't mean we sometimes don't go back to 1 and 2. Sometimes we're confused. We're asking why. We don't get it. But ultimately, when we look up, we, return, we come to chapter 3. That's a meaningful choice each one of us has to make today. It's a meaningful choice you have to make. It's a meaningful choice I have to make. Here we see in chapter 3, really, three things he does that are critical to keep us living by faith. He's praying. You could say trusting. He's waiting He's praying to God, asking, dialoguing with God. He's trusting God. It's the first thing. Number two, he's waiting on God. He's not hurrying God. He, he knows that you know, God's timetable is God's timetable. He can't change it. And the third thing he's, do, he's doing is he is rejoicing. He is rejoicing. He knows that that is the key to staying faithful to God. That is the key to, ju- to the just living by his faith. So chapter 3, verse 1 begins... A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, on Shiganoth. Now, what, what, what is this? Well, we know from Psalm 7 that Shiganoth is also mentioned, 
and it's a prayer to be sung. So he's praying, but what he is praying is a song to be sung by God's people. Maybe when they came back from exile, this was number one on the hits. We don't know because he's writing this pre, uh, pre-exile. They would come back uh, for, not for about 65 years after, after Habakkuk is writing here. Verse 2, I want to read verse 2 twice. He says, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of years. In the midst of years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Remember, we did a whole sermon just on this verse. So now let's read it again slowly. O Lord, no, I doubt it. O Lord. See, the, the frustration now is a smile. O Lord. <laughs> and notice transparency. I've heard your speech and I was afraid. When you told me that originally, I was scared crazy. Oh Lord, revive or renew your work in the midst of years. Lord, I'm just asking you this. Would you let me see it? I want to see it. That's like some of us. We want to see God's work. Some of us have had the experience who lived in the latter part of the last century of seeing what God did. And I don't want us to, to, to just fall back into nostalgia. I want us to take seeing that and projecting it forward, praying it forward, working it forward, and saying, God, we want to see it in our generation. Or if we don't, we will pray and we will work our hearts out and we will sow the seeds for the next generation or the generation after that. And you know what? They'll meet us in heaven and we'll be the heroes. Because they'll be like, you people laid the groundwork for it. So he says, in the midst of years, make it known. In other words, discipline us, God. We get it. I get it. But bring us back to you. Do whatever it takes. And notice his important request. In wrath, your wrath, Lord, which we deserve, remember mercy. Friends, this is true worship responding to the word of God and responding to the grace of God. And I believe with all of my heart, this is why the singing after the sermon is so much louder than the singing before the sermon. Because having put aside all of our troubles, God speaks to his people. God meets with his people. Not my words, God's word. Meeting with his people. And they can't help. Like Jesus said, listen, if my disciples don't cry out, even the rocks will cry out. It's the same thing. Crying out to God. We are so grateful for what you have done for us. So having heard from God, now Habakkuk responds in prayer and trust. Trusting God will deal with the problems in the world. Aren't that's that's right where we are right now. That's right where we are right now. In the next section, the people will be reminded, the Bible readers will be reminded of the Exodus. So Habakkuk essentially says to the Lord, would you please do it again? And and, and the answer was actually not in what happens in Habakkuk's time. It was what happened when they were exiled out of Babylon back to Jerusalem in what we call the second exile. I mean, The whole thing was awful for these people. It was awful. But 
When the people of God came back from Jerusalem, we study that in the book of Haggai. When the people of God came back from Jerusalem, the place was in ruins. But, but, the idols were gone. They were gone. That, that way of thinking was out of God's people. And that was God's plan all along. And loved ones, God will do whatever it takes, even sending his own son to die on the cross for our sins to get us to trust him. Now Habakkuk's request is to see it in his lifetime, and he won't, but he also prays in wrath, remember mercy. Interesting thing about the Lord. It tells us in the scripture that, that he is provoked to anger or that he is provoked to wrath. Almost like for him to be angry and to be full of wrath, he needs to be provoked. Why? Because his nature is love and mercy. Without a doubt, our world since the beginning of time has provoked God to wrath. Yet God responded with love and mercy by sending his beloved son to die on the cross. But then at one point, we have to go back to chapter 1, verse 13. He says, Habakkuk says, You are of pure eyes than to behold evil. You are of pure eyes than to behold sin. So if we're sinful people, how in the world do we experience God's love and mercy? Jesus said this, You have to repent and believe. Repent. What does that mean, to repent? It means to turn, to turn from you're going one way. The scripture says in the Old Testament, Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We're going away from God. Jesus says, you have to repent. You have to turn to God, turn to God. Agree that you've been going the wrong way. Turn to God, come back to him and believe. Believe is to trust, to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We often emphasize trusting in Jesus Christ. And we should. It's necessary. We often describe repenting as changing your mind and agreeing with God. And I think that's probably why we get ourselves into trouble, because we don't necessarily unpack that word enough. You see, when we repent, when we return to God, this is the realization that we come to either in the moment or over time. We realize that our sins before a holy God were the reason for the cross. It's not that we just agree with God that sinning is bad. We realize that our sins were the, before a holy God, a perfect God, were the reasons for the cross. We trust then in Jesus' perfect life. We see, remember Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see that Jesus was exiled from God on the cross so all who would put their trust in Jesus Christ never would be exiled from God. We come to verse 3. Verses 3 to 15 tells us of God's deliverance of his people in the past and in the future, what we call the theophany, the appearance of God. But look at the first two words of verse 3. God came. God came. God is teaching Habakkuk and he's teaching us there is only one way that he saves his people from death. It is by he himself coming to our rescue. It is by he himself coming 
to save us. Ultimately, when God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And because of that, now Habakkuk's eyes are no longer on his personal circumstances. His eyes are now on the glory of God. Instead of complaining like he was in chapter 1, in verse 1, he is now inviting all of us to pray with him, to sing with him, to worship the Lord with him. Instead of accusing God of being idle, Habakkuk now calls all of us to stop being idle. And he calls all of us to walk with God by faith in Jesus. God came. Think about that. God came. Even in the worst of times, even when his people were at their worst in idolatry in Habakkuk's day, God came. You know why? Because that's who he is. That's who he is. God is at work even in the worst of times, even when we can't see it, even when we personally are at our worst. Do you know why? Because that's who he is. That's who he is. When we come to verse 16, Habakkuk is no longer in a panic. He's now waiting. He says, When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself. And then he turns on a dime, and he says, That I might rest. Another version says, Yet I will quietly wait. In the day of trouble, when he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. He says he's going to fix those people. He's no longer asking how long. Now Habakkuk is, is waiting and trusting in God's timing. And if he can wait, we can wait too. If Habakkuk can wait without even knowing the story of Jesus, the history of Jesus, we can wait too. When we come to verse 17, now he's rejoicing. He says, though the fig tree may, may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the store. What is he saying? Though we lose everything. Though I lose everything. The cupboards are bare. The bank account's empty. I don't have anything. People around me are dying. I don't have anything. What does he say? Verse 18, yet. All those, those, though I lost this, though I lost that, though I lost this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Here, Habakkuk, no matter what, resolves to praise God, even though, as we know, things are going to get worse. This is what we might call costly praise. This is what a transformed life looks like. This is what righteous living looks like. Trusting God, even when it is so pitch black, when it is so dark, you can't even see your hand in front of you. Oh, friends, I know this. Many of us have lots of those. Though this, though that, though this. Now, maybe you're saying here, well, I don't have any of those. You will. You will. But more important than the those is to have a yet. To have a yet. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. This is possible for any follower of Jesus when we say what he says. I will joy 
in the God of my salvation. This is joy in our Savior. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're glad that you're here. This could be your day. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is so very important, and, and you, have to, you have to nail this question down, loved ones. The transforming question is not, why do we suffer? That is not the transforming question. The transforming question is, why did Jesus have to suffer for me? That is the question that will change your life. When you look at the cross and you say, why is he up there taking the punishment for my sins? The only logical answer is love, mercy, grace, and the glory of God. It must be true for God so loved the world. It must be true for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, his only one and only blessed son, that if you would simply put your trust in him, you could have eternal life. While some come to the cross and they think it's a shame, others just yawn, oh well. Followers of Jesus, we come to the cross and we look up. It's all level at the foot of the cross. None's better than the other. We're all looking at him and we gaze with great affection. Our affections are drawn to him. We gaze at his amazing love. And as Jesus told his apostles the night before the cross, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, of all the things Jesus said at the Last Supper, Jesus said this, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than lay down one's life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. If you trust in Jesus, you are one of his friends. Verse 19 the Lord God is my strength. What is he saying? Hey, listen, man, even if things gets worse, even if the virus gets worse, even if the economy gets worse, even if the social unrest gets worse, the Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on high hills. He'll, he'll, he'll help me in the difficult paths of life. And then he closes with what the whole sermon is about. <laughs> You're like, it took you this long to get here, Pastor Jim. To the chief musician with my stringed instruments. And you're like, that doesn't mean anything. It's an invitation to sing. Why would he write this? Why would God have Habakkuk write this book? And then in the end, invite us to sing and to rejoice because God knew there would be people, even people 2,600 years later, that would need the book of Habakkuk. They would desperately need it because they wouldn't know which end was up. God knew some of his people would be so overwhelmed with suffering. He knew that so many of his people would be so swept away by sadness. Yet... Though they were this, yet they can rejoice in the Lord. They can have joy in their Savior. God left us this book so we would know what to do when these times came upon us. So we would end up in God's arms instead of drowning 
in the sea of despair. God left us this book so some of us could come to the Lord Jesus for the first time. God left us this book so some of us who know we've been living in chapter 1, complaining, 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 could actually come back to God in chapter 3. God gave us this book. And it's funny, I wanted to teach this book for so long and just was like, I don't know why, I just didn't feel like God wanted me to. God gave us this book. He left us this book so we can all rejoice and be loved and be strengthened in the darkest of days. That's why I believe with all of my heart that this little tiny three-chapter book is God's special gift for us. And friend, it's God's special gift for you. Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love brings you the great hope of the gospel to equip you to reach others with this transforming message. In a world filled with fear and mistrust, Pastor Jim provides the path to freedom in a clear and transparent style. Changed by Love needs your help to reach thousands, including your friends and neighbors. Find out the ways you can team financially with Changed by Love by visiting our website at changedbyloveradio.org or call 862-217-9686. Pastor Jim would love to hear your story and how Changed by Love has impacted your life or someone you know. Your encouragement goes a long way. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.